Welcome to Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Kelly. And I'm here to remind you, however you're listening and wherever you're listening, that as dads, we're just like moms. Except we're dads. Welcome to this episode of the Welcome to Fatherhood podcast. So a few weeks ago, I shared that I'm beginning this journey looking for portraits of fatherhood from the perspective of what history has to offer. And the historical landscape that I'm surveying is broken down into four categories. Colonial times, the period marked by the Industrial Revolution, the 20th century, and our present and modern times. So for the next several minutes, I want to zero in on the colonial time period and let the portrait of what an ideal male parental figure develop and come into focus. I am by no means a historian, although fun fact, uh, I was several credits away from minoring in history back in college. I became fascinated by history then, but I never really fully went after it. So there's that. Uh, Still, I do appreciate the unique perspective that history offers, especially when history is not partial, when it's impartial. So by no means will this be a full, comprehensive or detailed or ultra HD portrait. I'm just trying my best in my limited ability to get a working idea of what father's in those time periods, and for today's purposes, in the colonial time period, may have sounded like, thought like, or be perceived like. And see if uh, any other themes or historical threads jump out that could help me understand my role and place as a father today in 2021. And as I develop and grow into this role of fatherhood, in the future. So here's my best effort at piecing together uh, some historical threads and let's see where it goes. Um, I'll be referencing an article titled Fatherhood Ideals in the United States, Historical Dimensions, and another article titled Fatherhood and Motherhood in Colonial America. Here's the question that I want to answer at the end of this. If I were to wake up one morning and find that while I was asleep, my son, my wife, and I were somehow transported back in time to colonial America, in terms of the expectations of that society for the male parent figure, what would be the way that I would be expected to carry out being a father to my son? So that's what I'm after And this conversation, in this analysis, if I were to wake up and I were to find myself in colonial America, in terms of the expectations of that society for fathers, how would I be expected to carry out being a father to my son? 
According to the article, it depends. Here's how it starts. It says that although the dominant ideal is that of a stern patriarch, that same ideal excludes the reality that colonial fathers were Native American, African and African-American, Spanish and Hispanic, as well as European. When American history starts talking about fatherhood in that time period, it tends to start with the stern patriarch ideal, which excludes the fact that all throughout the history of America, diverse styles of fathering have always coexisted. So it looks somewhat different within each of these ethnic categories. I'm going to be talking about three separate portraits of fatherhood then. White, Hispanic, and Black fathers. There are characteristics that overlap among them, obviously, but to do justice to the portrait that I came across, a small portrait that I came across of the Black slave father, I'll read the full segment of the article instead of paraphrasing it when we get there. So first off, I'm going to start with white and Hispanic fathers. So the colonial period, religious ideals and one's uh, faith ideals were fundamental pillars of that society. And whether a family unit fell on the evangelical or moderate end of the spectrum, both sides bought into the stern patriarch ideal. Although, quote, evangelicals fit the mold more closely than moderate fathers. Among both groups, Protestant fathers wanted to make their home a small religious temple and install the male head of household as the domestic spiritual leader. So what that means, the result of that is that fathers were responsible for presiding over daily prayers. They were in charge of how the family should function and they set the tone for how to read and interpret the Bible. They were the ones responsible for teaching their children how to read and interpret the Bible. Basically, it was dad's religion. Here's another interesting concept that I read in the other article titled Fatherhood and Motherhood in Colonial America. So it's pointing to how this patriarchy ideal was symbolized in day-to-day homes. In other words, if I walked into a colonial home, if you walked into a home during the colonial times, what visual, what visual thing you would see that symbolizes how this patriarchy ideal was playing out. A primary symbol of paternal dominance lay in the fact that he sat in an armchair, whereas other family members sat on benches or stools. Symbolically, the armchair was his throne. I wonder if this is where the concept of the chair originated from. You know, every man has his the chair in his home. And if you don't have the chair, then you need to get the chair or you need to claim the chair right now. So going back to the first article, virtually all colonists in every region believe that fathers, not mothers, provided the best example of proper moral character for girls as well as boys. And the reason for that is that mothers were believed to be too emotional or as it says here, governed by their passions rather than by reason. So because of that, 
the qualities considered essential to good child rearing, the article says, rationality, self-control, and theological understanding were believed to reside in men rather than women. So mom was too emotional. Mom was too fond of her children. Therefore, mom could not provide the essential qualities um, for bringing up a an upstanding citizen of that society. Dad, on the other hand, was driven by a sense of duty and responsibility. He was more rational. He had more self-control. He had a deeper theological understanding, which were all necessary ingredients for raising proper children of that time. And so since dad was seen or believed to have these qualities innately in him, then it was his responsibility to instill these qualities into his children and take that responsibility away from mom entirely. So this is a society where we're not talking about necessarily shared responsibility. These were very clearly defined um, gender roles. So among Spanish and Hispanic fathers in the Southwest and California, they also believe that fathers should be stern patriarchs who deserve unquestioning obedience from their children. And listen, these guys were not playing around. For example, for a Hispanic father, a son appearing before his father had to ask for permission before smoking, sitting, or even wearing a hat. And, you know, this reminds me of something that my mom has, uh, a story that my mom has shared numerous times uh, growing up uh, about her father, my grandfather. So I never met my grandfather, but my mom and my uncles and my aunts, they talk about him as this very stern figure. And so my mom says that if my, fa- if my grandfather passed gas, and she or any of her siblings were in the vicinity. They didn't even have to be in the same room. If they were in the vicinity and they heard him pass gas, it must've been a loud one. Then they, not he, they had to say, excuse me for him as if they were the ones who either did it or caused him to do it. This may seem like an extreme thing, but in this society, it seems as if there was, uh, particularly among this ethnic group, it seems that they, they demanded something more from their children. And um, yeah, if, you know, I don't know if it's the same thing in, 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 in their circles, but my mom had to say, excuse me for my grandfather when he passed gas. I mean, just let that sink in. That's nuts. That is absolutely nuts. What separated the Hispanic and Southern white father from his New England compadre was that responsibility of the Hispanic father to sons and daughters was wrapped in a code of honor. And I guess that's what I was trying to say just now. It seems that the Hispanic father was demanding more and the Southern father were demanding more from their children than the Northern fathers. So it's interesting because that seems like geographics also played a role in 
the portrait of fatherhood? Because it seems like, I mean, I guess the same could still be said today. Northern, a little more liberal, it seems like. Um, Southern, a little more strict. A father had to teach his son to be manly and adhere to this code, to the manly code. The manly code, in other words, is this code of honor. He also had to pay special attention to protecting the virginity and reputation of unmarried daughters. Any stain on a daughter's reputation permanently damaged her marriage prospects and her family's sense of honor. But a further distinction between the Hispanic and Southern father was that the Southern father allowed his son to be rude, talk back, and disobey at times, and did not demand the many deferential customs Hispanic fathers expected. So although there is a difference, it seems like, between the Hispanic and Southern father uh, from their New England mates, even amongst the same geographical area, the cultural difference between the Hispanic father and the Southern white father was that the Southern white father didn't necessarily demand the same type of honor code that the Hispanic father demanded from his children, which is really fascinating. So the Hispanic father would, would uh, request, would require, would demand his son to ask for permission before doing certain things. Don't talk back. Uh, whatever I say, go. Do not question why I'm saying this to you. This is not a democracy. This is a dictatorship. Where it seems like it was more of a democratic thing at times within the white Southern household. Whereas the son could talk back, could challenge, and that kind of stuff. More generally, as property owners in a society where land, rather than cash, was the main form of wealth, land-owning fathers controlled a valuable resource that affected the future of their sons and daughters. Basically, it was up to the father to determine whether or not he would give his son a plot of land to help him become economically independent. So Southern planters and land-owning Hispanic fathers arranged marriages for their children, while most of the other fathers in the American colonies did not. So fathers of means could take away the financial resources for the couple's well-being if he felt like it, or if he felt that his child's potential partner did not meet his standards and or qualifications. It says here in the article that, a father might investigate the economic worthiness of a prospective bridegroom or the financial standing of a daughter-in-law's family. So if my son says, hey, dad, I want to marry Mrs. Jane's daughter down the street. If their economic standing was not up to par, and especially if I'm trying to climb up the ladder a little bit, then nah. We're not doing that. I am not giving you a plot of land so you can start your own family and become financially independent. We're not doing that. So that level of, of uh, investment and manipulation and control seems to be the norm in that society.
now we get to the black or African or African-American father. And as I stated before, instead of paraphrasing, I'm just going to go ahead and read this segment. It was thought that the frequency of sale meant that the slave father was essentially an absent and uninvolved father. The slave father resembled in many respects the father among poor white farmers. In the majority of cases, the slave father lived with his wife and children in a log cabin. Some fathers who lived on a neighboring plantation received permission from the master to visit wife and children once a week or on holidays. When such permission was denied, they often became runaways so that they could see their families. Think about that. If I were to wake up in colonial America as who I am now, and my wife and my son were the property of a neighboring plantation, I would need to ask another man permission to go see my wife and my son. And it was up to that man to say yay or nay. And should he say nay, then I would have to risk my life to go see, to go lay eyes on my wife and my son just because someone else deemed it inappropriate at the time for me to do so. It continues, however much he might have wanted to, the slave father could not play the role of physical protector of his wife and children. He was a strict disciplinarian who expected obedience and punished with the whip. He sometimes provided religious instruction, told stories, and sang songs, and was especially involved in teaching his sons to hunt and fish. He spent his evenings and free time in trying to provide additional food or even income for his family. In several respects, his role was unique. Slaves were especially likely to name their sons after a father to preserve his memory in the event he was sold. It was far less common for daughters to be named for their mothers. The slave father and his wife had to teach their children how to survive the physical and psychological assaults of slavery. A child had to learn when to fight and when to acquiesce. Fathers and mothers often had to offer lessons in accommodation or outward deference to white overseers and masters. Masters who could sell a man's children or sell a father away from his children taught the cruelest lesson of all. Most sales were individual ones, which separated one family member from the rest of his or her kin. After slaves were emancipated, many a father set about searching for his lost children. But as long as the system endured, the slave father lacked the legal rights of a free man and had only limited authority over his children.
honestly, I don't know how to quite feel about that. Um, I can't, I can't put words to, um, to the things that I'm thinking about, that I'm feeling after reading that segment. Okay, so putting all of these components together, this is what I think the portrait of a colonial father is. As long as he was not a slave, that father was involved in every aspect of his child's life. Whether white or Hispanic, that colonial father was a protector of his family. He was a disciplinarian of his children. He was the moral compass of his household. And he had an armchair as his throne. He was both a hard worker and a family man, a feat made possible by a society largely based on agriculture and farm work. The Hispanic enslaved father demanded obedience and respect, unquestioning obedience and respect, while the Southern father was a little more lax. The slave father would teach his sons and daughters painful lessons white and Hispanic fathers were never forced to teach their sons and daughters. And sadly, in 2021, that is still the case for the most part. Fathers were seen as the primary caregiver for their children. And it may have been that any father who did not meet some or perhaps even most of these criteria or these standards would have been labeled or seen as a bad father. So how to answer my question from earlier? What would be the expectations for me? Well, it depends. If I woke up white, then the expectation would be for me to be the theological tone setter of my family, the protector of my family from man and beast the provider for my family, the one who taught my children how to read and interpret the Bible. Um, I would have an armchair that would be seen as my throne where everybody else sat on different seating surfaces. I would have control over when I would allow my son to begin to establish his own roots as a man by either giving or withholding a property from him. I would be responsible for vetting the candidates that my children wanted to marry. If I was a Hispanic father, I would also be the theological tone setter of my home, the moral compass of my home, expected to be the protector of my home from man and beast. I would demand unquestioning respect and obedience from my children. And I would also arrange marriages for my son and my daughter. I would also do everything in my power to protect my daughter from uh, being taken advantage of as a means to uphold this honor code and the honor of my family. If I woke up as myself, as I am now, a black man, then potentially I would be somewhere else, separated from my family. And I would need to ask for permission to go see my family. And I would have to risk my life at times to go see my family. If we were on the same plantation, then 
I would work two jobs or multiple jobs in order to make sure that my family had enough food and resources, however limited. I would be the theological compass for my children. I would uh, not be able to protect my family in the same way that the Hispanic and the white father was able to. I would be having unique, deeply painful conversations with my son and my daughter about how to survive that society. I would have to teach them when it was okay for them to act out and when to give in. I would have to teach them to respect authority at all times. I would perhaps name my son after me so that in the event I was sold or he was sold, we would have something in common that would make it a little easier for us to find each other at some point. I would have very little rights to my own family. And I don't know why a part of me still feels like so much of this is familiar even to this day. So this is what I came up with. Uh, This is what this article has offered. This is how I've interpreted this article. If any of this um, is fascinating to you and you want to talk about it more, WTFatherhoodPodcast at gmail.com is where you can email or you can go to Facebook and look for the Welcome to Fatherhood Facebook page where you can leave a comment. You can direct message me there. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I'll talk to you next week.